Hey, good morning, y'all. Good to be here this morning. I'm so happy that y'all are y'all are here, folks watching online. Um, you could be lots of different places, but for whatever reason, the Lord's got you here this morning to hear a message that He's got that I'm super stoked and excited about. We are in the uh, we've been in a in a message series called "The Gospel Makes Freakish Demands," and today we're wrapping that series up. <clears throat> with the, uh, the, the, the idea that the gospel demands freakish mission, freakish mission. And I'm not talking about, um, I'm not, by the way, if you have, and Mike said it a little while ago, this is totally a, ra- a, a swirl just ran by. If you've got a student or if you know a student, it's going to be a good time tonight watching the Super Bowl. It's actually at our house. And so, so that, y'all are giggling, no adults though. Students, students, so if you have a student, know a student, get them there tonight, it'll be a good time. Now, the gospel demands freakish mission, that's what we're going to talk about today, and I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about mission trips, I'm not talking about outreach in the community, although those two things are manifestations of living a life on mission, those two things are manifestation of being a missional church, and so that's what I'm talking about, I'm talking about being missional being a church family that is missional. You may even say that I'm talking about the idea that the gospel demands that you and I always be on the trail, that we're always, we live a life on the trail. And this language, this missional sort of language, it's gotten twisted around in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years probably, maybe even longer than that. But it's, it's gotten twisted around and it's been tarnished by the churches that have watered down the gospel in order to fill seats. The gospel has gotten watered down over the last 20, 30 years. Technique has somehow trumped Jesus. Um, Programs have upended the gospel just for the sake of, of programs. And it's played itself out in the last whatever period of time that somehow or the other solid biblical content is put to the curb in the, in, the, in the interest of being culturally relevant. As if uh, solid biblical content and cultural relevancy can't coexist, they can't live together. As if this ancient text is not culturally relevant. Look at what's going on in the last two weeks in New York and in Virginia, and you tell me that this book is not culturally relevant. It is. It transcends all time and all culture and all peoples. And so I want to give you kind of a, by the way, another squirrel. Is everybody, if you don't have one of these, I want to get one of these in your hands because there's good stuff in it and there's fill in the blanks and there's some really good discussion things for y'all, you and your family to do together. So, back to the tree. Um, I want to give you sort of a foundational statement, and that is this, that the the gospel is God's. The gospel is God's, and God is unchanging, unchanging, and his gospel is unchanging. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not given the freedom to, to change the simple truths in the scripture. God is holy. I'm a sinner, desperately in need of him. Jesus died on a cross to save me from that sin. That's the simple, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. 
it, it doesn't change. And I, and I can't change that. But the culture that we live in is constantly changing. It's constantly changing. So here's the challenge. The challenge is, the missional challenge, is that we figure out how to take an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing culture, communicate it to an ever-changing culture. And it means using culturally appropriate language and images and metaphors and symbols so that the words and the ideas that we are communicating with our friends and our family are already familiar to that audience that we are trying to reach. For example, musically, we have massive freedom to express the gospel in in countless different sounds and styles and and, and genres, like the just as an example, the 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 majesty and the glory that at one time was heard in the roar of a pipe organ today on this stage is heard in the roar of an electric guitar. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. It's, it's, it's all, the gospel never changes. That stuff can change. And so I want to give you a biblical truth that is going to lay over the top of what we're talking about today, and that is this, that God is ascending God. Our God is ascending God. God sent, you can say amen to that. He sends us. That's what He does. I'll go back to Abram. And Abram was Abraham before God changed His name to Abraham. So Abram, in Genesis 12:1 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Why? Why are you doing that? Well, that, that is the initial blueprint, Genesis 12:1, the initial blueprint of God's great plan of salvation. That storyline tracks its way on a trail all the way 1,800 years later to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what, here's what God said to Abram in, in Genesis 12. He said, listen, bro, I want you to grab your go bag. How many of y'all have a go bag? Raise your hand if you have a go bag. Y'all are lying. There's way more militia folks in here than just raise their hand. I got a go bag, I promise you. So God said to Abram, grab your go bag and you're moving. Leave behind everything, your homeland, your culture, your language, your family, most of your family, and make sure you grab whatever it is that you can grab and come and follow me. That's what God said to Abram. And by the way, I'm not even going to tell you where we're going really until we get there. And if he was, if Abram was like most of us, he is probably thinking, find me an excuse some sort of an excuse not to do this. Surely the Lord didn't really say that. And you know, every sin that befalls us begins with, did God really say? Go look at Genesis. What did the serpent say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say not to do that? Everything. And so you know that little voice is in Abram's ear. ear. I, he really didn't mean, I misheard him. He didn't really mean for me to go. He didn't really mean for me to leave my family and everything. But, but here's what, the, what he did. He was sent. And he went. And he's sitting there thinking, probably, I can be just fine right here in my hometown. But he didn't do that. He was sent, and he went, not because it made sense, not because it was easy, not because it was the most logical way for him to raise a family. He went because God said so. God said to go, and he went. And at the end of the day, y'all hear this, his mission was to be on the trail 
telling the world about the God who sent him. That was his mission. And the nation of Israel was born. Verse 3 says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, Abram could not possibly have fully understood what was happening. This is 1,800 or 1,900 years prior to Christ. He could not possibly have understood what was going on, but as the Old Testament unfolds, progressively revealed, unfolding of the story of God, through the Jews, through the Jewish people, Abraham's people, Abram's people, God sent our Savior. That ought to get an amen too. 18, 1900 years later, he is ascending God. The fact that, that Jesus was the sent one, that language, he was the sent one, is the most foundational, fundamental identification of Christ in the Scriptures. Look at, look at John 20. Verse 21 says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And if me and you, if me and you identify ourselves as Christ followers, we've got to continue his mission. 1993, the International uh, Mission Council, the International Missionary Council said this, There is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission to the world. Think about that. There is no participation in Christ. I cannot be Christ-like. He cannot be in me if I am not participating in his mission. And so the whole idea of the gospel-demanding freakish mission, the mission of God, number one, is, is a recognition that our God is ascending God. And his church, his church, his church is sent to always be on the trail for the sake of the gospel. It is the most important mission in all of the scriptures. And I want to give you a few key points about being on the trail. Number one is this. It's fill in the blank in your worship, God. Number one is this. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of being on the trail. He is the perfect embodiment of being on the trail. John, the Gospel of John, paints a vivid picture of Jesus being sent. John records those words, the sent one. In different ways, in the Gospel of John, he says, he that sent, is Jesus talking, he that sent me, um, the one that sent me, the Father has sent me. He uses that, that language 34 times, that sent language 34 times in the Gospel of John. Y'all, Jesus is, he embodies everything there is that is missional. Look at ver, uh, chapter 17, verse 18. As you have sent of John, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What is sanctification? It's being set apart. It's being set aside. It's being consecrated for a purpose. Jesus set himself aside. He set himself apart. He consecrated himself for the purpose of the Father. Okay, well, what's the purpose of the Father? Look in verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is the purpose of us being on mission, on being on the trail? That the world may believe that God sent his son to restore a relationship that was broken in the garden. That is the purpose. That's the purpose in being on mission. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me 
that they may be one as we are one. Why are we set aside? That the world may believe in Jesus and that the world may see his glory. Well, now what's his glory? Well, Jesus was the glory of God. Look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, when people look at me, I want them to see the glory of God. I want to see them in me. I want them to see his hands and his feet. And it sounds cliche when we say, Lord, make me your hands and feet. That's what I want people to see. When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the office, when you go to the ball field, when you're on the streets, wherever you are, I hope that they see the glory of God in you and not you. Verse 22, I have given them, Jesus talking, I have given them the glory that you gave me. What's his purpose? That the world, that the world may believe that you, the Father, sent me the Son. And Lord, as you sent me, I send them. Lord, I want them to see your, this is Jesus talking. I want them to see your glory in me. I want them to see your love in me. That's what the Master said. That's what he said. So number one, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of being on the trail. And number two is this. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be on the trail. Not my spirit empowering myself. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be on the trail. Look at John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate, another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The underlined word there is translated a bunch of different ways. Helper, friend, comforter, encourager, teacher, companion, guide. It's the Greek word parakletos. And that word means, literally means, one who comes alongside. Jesus promises, y'all, he promises us when we say yes, that he will send a helper to, to, to come alongside of us, the paraclete. And he comes alongside of us and he counsels us with the full counsel of the Father. He comes alongside us to help us in every situation we would ever come along. Every 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for the believer. He provides us with divine strength, the divine strength that we need to live a life on mission. The power comes from Him to live a life on mission. Ephesians 1, Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers, verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That comes from the Holy Spirit, y'all. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to pray for those Christians to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Verse 16, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, I, Paul, pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says here, be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to strengthen yourself. I'm going to strengthen you through the Holy Spirit. And y'all, the last words recorded by Christ in Acts 1.8, His very last words that are recorded. And this, this book, uh, this verse, Acts 1.8, for 2,000 years, y'all, it has been called the pivotal verse in all of the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that between the resurrection and the ascension, that six or seven week time span, Jesus, He gave His guys instructions. He expounded on the Scriptures and He told them what He told them about the kingdom of God. He taught them. And they asked Him in Acts 1.6, they said, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I got the benefit of 2,000 years of looking backwards. I'm like, these jokers didn't get it, man. They were hanging out with Him for three years. They saw Him they saw him die and they saw him come back alive and they asked him, well, are you now going to restore the kingdom? I don't think they necessarily understood at that moment the kingdom correctly. And Jesus answered them. He said, look, guys, it's not for you to know the time. It's not for you to know the place. The Father's got all that figured out. But i got a plan. i got a plan for what you need to do while you wait. You're not going to know the time. The Father knows the time. He says, but i got a plan. And the plan is simple, y'all. Acts 1.8, it is simple. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses, you'll be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Simple three-line plan that Jesus gave them. There is a trail described in that verse. It begins in Jerusalem and it goes out to all of Judea and Samaria and it ebbs and it flows all over the planet. That is what it does. There's a principle in that verse in Acts 1.8, a timeless principle, transcends all of time, history, transcends every culture, totally applicable in every culture. There's a template in that verse. For you and me as individuals, our homes, our families are ground zero. And then out from there, for us as a church family, our community is our Jerusalem. It is. And then out from there. All of this happened as the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. When that happened, His followers, the Christ, his, the Christ followers at the time, they spoke with holy boldness. They took every opportunity in front of them to tell of Christ on the streets and in the synagogues and in homes and in prisons and, and in courtrooms, that was their trail. These men and women, they were convinced of the truth because they had seen the risen Christ. They had seen, you meet the risen Christ, it will rock your world and you will be different on the other side of that. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to empower them. And God's mission didn't stop there. His mission continues on today. And it is only through the power of His Holy Spirit that we can even begin to think about being on the trail and being on mission. So Jesus is the embodiment of being on the trail. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be on the trail. And number three is this, the church is the instrument for being on the trail. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 Therefore, this is Jesus talking, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, go into, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke 24, starting in verse 46, Jesus is expounding on the scriptures to some of his guys after the resurrection. And he says this in verse 46, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning where? In Jerusalem. You are my witnesses to all of these things. Then Acts 1.8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what we've got, guys. This is what we got in the text of the Scriptures. These are much of the last words recorded of Christ. Is there a common... Do you see a common thread through those, through Matthew, through the end of Matthew, of the end of Mark, the end of Luke, and then Acts 1.8, is there a thread? Y'all, go is the thread. It's a, it's a common, he says, you are my witnesses. Go, be my witnesses, preach the gospel, make disciples. These are his last words. Last words are lasting words. Those are his last words, and I wonder how sometimes can we not get that. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think we do get it. But I think that sometimes maybe we have a tendency to disagree on the how. We, the instructions are pretty clear on the how. Could we do this individually? Could no need for a church family, no need for a church fellowship, just go and do it individually one-on-one? -on -one? Could, could we do it like that? Well, y'all are grown folks. You can do whatever you want to. I, I, I think it may not be the right way to do it. It may not be the best way to do it. It may not be and definitely is not the way that, that Christ intended for it to be. It's not the instructions that he left us, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I guess we could. Hold on to that thought for a minute. So we've heard his last words. Let's see what his earliest followers did immediately after Acts 1-8. And I'm talking about immediately. Chapter 2, at Pentecost, immediately after Christ said that, he ascends to the Father. Acts chapter 2 records the greatest sermon ever preached in all of the scriptures other than the words of Christ himself. Write this down because it's not. we're not going to go through this, this message. Acts 2, 14 through 40. Go read it. It's Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And here's why. Pure gospel. Pure Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is Acts 2.14 through 40. It is a pure gospel, Jesus-centric message. Well, what happened? What happened? Did it work? Did Peter's sermon at Pentecost, did it work? Let's look at the very next verse. Sermon ends in, in verse 40. Look at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Brother, they had revival up in there. 3,000 people came lost and left found. So yeah, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered message works. The gospel works. What does the text say? Amen is right. It works. 3,000 saved. And then what? Very next verse, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Y'all, this is the first description, the first image, the first account of a New Testament church. And so as an aside, I want to give you the definition of the church, of Christ's church. And it is the invisible body of believers for all time. That is His church. But I want you to give me grace as we walk through the rest of this message. I'm going to use the term the church as if it was local assemblies of believers all around the planet. So just give me grace. And I know that the church is not a building. I understand that. But give me some grace as we work through this. So we have got some pretty consistent last words of Christ in the Gospels and in Acts 1-8. And immediate, immediately afterwards, we see an army of Jesus freaks born. Immediately after that. So let, what can we learn about church from that? We learn this. The true gospel works. The false gospel doesn't. The false gospel may fill seats in a church temporarily, but it's deceptive. Jesus, the gospel of a risen Christ, it works. It works. Simple. I'm a sinner. I'm busted up. And I'm desperately in need. And God came, died on that cross to fix my need. That simple message of the gospel works. It works. People hear it and they respond. It doesn't have to be watered down, y'all. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to sneak it up on folks. You don't have to sneak up and stick Jesus in somebody's back pocket. That, you don't have to do that. It works. The gospel works. So next, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So who's teaching? The apostles' teaching. So they had leaders. The early church had leaders. These leaders are later called shepherds or pastors. It's the same Greek word, presbyteros. So they had leaders, and they were devoted to the leaders' teaching. Were they devoted to the leaders? No, they were not. Don't be devoted to a pastor. Don't, don't, even, don't be devoted to the teaching. The text says they were devoted to the teaching, the apostles' teaching. All right, number two, what is the teaching? What's the teaching? And the text doesn't explicitly tell us but it is safe and it is reasonable to assume based on a, other biblical evidence and just what makes sense that the teaching that they were devoted to was the teaching that Peter preached at, Sir, at Pentecost. That it was a gospel, it was a risen Christ. They were not running around talking all kind of theology. Y'all, this was six or seven weeks after Christ walked out of the grave. So what was the teaching? A risen Christ is the teaching. Coupled probably with his last words, which were instructions that he gave them. So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking bread together. That, that's written in the book of Luke. That's Luke's language. It's Luke's, excuse me, it's written in Acts. Luke wrote Acts. But that's Luke's language for communion. So they were devoted to breaking bread together and to praying together. Verse 44, 
they were together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And you know, we here today, especially with, with millennials, I don't need no church. I can do it all. I just need myself. I just, so there, there's a, with some millennials, I don't need all that. I can just do everything, but because, because that's, what, that's what they did. They didn't meet anywhere. If they met anywhere, they met in each other's homes. Au contraire. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Acts 3.11 and Acts 5.12 tell us they met in Solomon's colonnade. Well, what is that, you ask? I've got an answer for you. And you may be saying, well, I didn't think they, I didn't think they met in some place. That, and if they did, I just thought they met in each other's houses. Acts 2.46, Acts 3.11, Acts 5.12, Solomon's colonnade, which was a covered portico that ran all the way down the eastern side of the outer court of the temple. They met together. So they did get together, and they prayed together, and they learned about Jesus together, and they studied their scriptures together, and they worshiped together. That's what this book says. That's what this book says that they did. And yes, they did get together in each other's homes, and they enjoyed each other's company and fellowship, much like we very much encourage y'all to do in a growth group. Verse 46 says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And number four, they served together. Look at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, uh, who had need. So their work also included learning how to live and love together. They sold their possessions and made sure everybody had enough. Sound like socialism? I think it does not. I think it does not. Because it was voluntary, it was contemporary, and it was discretionary. So they taught and were taught together. They prayed, they gave, they ate, they worshipped, and they rejoiced together. So what you see is not an image of some subdued, um, quiet group of Christians up in some upper room in a little holy huddle praying quietly. What you see is 3,000 Jesus freaks all over Jerusalem praying and praising and witnessing for Christ. The early church, the image of the early church, it's a healthy church. And it is a perfect model for a church in 2019 when the church in 2019 takes seriously what it means to be missional. It is a perfect model for us if we take seriously what it means to be missional. Look, the rest of the book of Acts is the record of God's people being on the trail and being obedient to Acts 1.8. And you know what? God does things. It is a perfect model for us as we want to be missional. And God does things with, with what we do. He makes it feel good. And we want to do it again. When we serve each other, it feels good. We want to serve again. When we serve in my tots or in my kids or on the streets, when we do what He has called us to do, there's somehow He's wired us up that it feels good. We want to do it again. And so the rest of the book of Acts is an image of God's people being on the trail, being obedient to Acts 1.8.
Every single thing the church does and is, is mission. Missions should not be another program on the menu of, pro, of church programs. It is our fundamental identity as witnesses sent by God onto the trail. It is our identity. And when you and I are saved, immediately, when you and I are saved, at the same time we're incorporated into His church. And look, we don't trust in the church itself for salvation. We don't. But neither do we overlook its place in the gospel message of God. The church is a major component of God's plan. It's a major component of God's plan. The church is the instrument that He chose. The church is the instrument that God chose to use to fulfill His mission. God chose the church. He could have written it in the, in the sky with an airplane. He didn't. He chose the church and it began way back in, in Genesis 12. He chose the church, the New Testament church, to go tell the world about Him. Matter, matter of fact, let's pray for a second. Lord, my prayer this morning is that You would make us a church family that would embrace Your mission. That it wouldn't just be another program and a list of programs, Lord, that it would be our fundamental identity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, help us to get our arms around the idea that, number one, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of being on the trail, that it is all about Him. Number two, that His promised Holy Spirit, that that is what empowers us, Lord, to be on the trail. Let us understand that. Let us understand that that power comes from you, not us. And Lord, let us understand that you have chosen in your sovereignty, Lord, you have chosen to use the church that you birthed at Pentecost. You have chosen that that be the instrument that you chose to use to fulfill your mission. Lord, let us be all about your plan and not our plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So look. So look, we have, all of us together, have been pray, I hope all of y'all have, have been praying over the name of our church, the name of our church family. A lot of us have spent a spent massive amount of time on our knees asking the Lord to lead this. Not us, but asking the Lord to lead this. To give us wisdom, to give us discernment in making these kinds of decisions. And I told y'all uh, a few weeks ago, that we didn't have clarity, we didn't have peace. We asked for your input for the last seven or eight weeks. And we got a lot of cards put in those boxes with a bunch of different names on them. And yeah, we got some that said, my suggestion, my name suggestion is don't change the name. So yeah, we absolutely we got some of those. We got a lot that had the word trail, a lot, that had the word trail in it. In fact, we had... I don't remember what the number was, six or seven different iterations of the same real name with trail in it. And I want you to also to understand that I understand some of, and all of us uh, understand, some of the emotional attachments that we have to the name my church. But I want you to know that that attachment 
is probably not to the name. The attachment is to the memory. It is. It is. It's, this is not about me. It's not about a pastor. It's not about the name. It, that attachment is to, is to a memory. And it may be a salvation memory. And brother, there is no bigger memory than a salvation memory. And so, I remember this day like it was yesterday, y'all. That was the day I baptized uh, Zach Morris and while Jeff was baptizing his wife, Caitlin Morris, out on the land and it was a beautiful day. And what an... It's, it's that memory. It's the memory. It's not the name. And I hope the memory that there's an emotional attachment to for that is... Yeah, it's still up there. For that is the beauty of the ordinance of baptism and the salvation that stands behind it. And my prayer is that for Zach and Caitlin, that, that, that the, the, the emotional attachment is to the beauty of the day that they fulfilled an ordinance of baptism together and the, and the salvation that is standing behind the fulfillment of that ordinance. I'm, that's my prayer. And so... Again, I told you a few weeks ago that we didn't have peace yet. And I don't use that word flippantly. I really don't use that word flippantly. But I didn't have peace about a decision. Well, now he has given us clarity now. He has given us clarity now. Not Ed has given Ed clarity. Not our leadership has given our leaders. He has given us clarity and peace. And we've spent the last month walking through some challenging scripture that told us that the gospel makes freakish demands, that it demands freakish compassion for the lost and for the poor and it demands freakish giving and now it demands freakish mission. It's really an understanding, y'all, that the church that Jesus Christ birthed through His Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that His church is forever on a mission. It lives on mission. His church is nothing but mission. And it's not an accident that the property that we have over there is on a trail. It's not. It's not an accident that Acts 1-8 paints a perfect image for us of being on a trail. Running from Jerusalem through Judea and Samaria and then out there all over the world. And so with all, all of that said, all of that said, um, we feel like that the Lord has just clearly and succinctly led us to change the name of our church family to, to Church on the Trail. And that name, it should be on the screen, that name and logo reflects with simple clarity the missional nature of Christ's church. We want to be Christ's church. There is an immediate, an immediately recognizable double entendre in the name, a, a kind of a dual meaning that you just get. That, yeah, we're going to physically, we're physically on the trail. And spiritually... We are on the trail for Christ. Now let me tell you what a church that is on the trail, what a church that's on the trail's calendar looks like. There's so much going on in our church family. Let me just tell you, this is an image of an Acts 1-8 church. Excuse me, an Acts 2 church. This is an image of the church that Christ birthed at Pentecost. Second Sunday every month, a men's breakfast, a fellowship together. Every Sunday, the 412 student ministry. I'm going to come back to that in a second. We're launching a men's ministry on February 20th. Matter of fact, I want you all to invite people 
to worship with us next Sunday, particularly men, as we walk through a message series two weeks called uh, Battle Plan, being a godly man. So we're birthing a men's ministry on the 20th of February called Trailblazers. Write this passage down, Nehemiah 4.14. That's the passage for our men's ministry. We're launching a, we will be launching a women's mentoring ministry this fall called Bloom, based on Isaiah 58.11. February 24th, Sunday, March 3rd, Sunday, we're going to have a Serve Sunday, like a rally day for serving. Anywhere that anyone could serve in any ministry in our church, tables out there to figure out where people want and can and will plug into those two Sundays. March 31st will be our first God Plunge party. That's in your worship guide, which is a whole new baptism thing for kids. We want kids that get saved to understand what that means. It's not flippant, y'all. We don't baptize unbelievers here. So it's, it's not a flippant thing. And we want them and their parents to understand it. So we're calling that a God, God plunge party. April 6th, we're having a women's conference here, uh, simulcast with Priscilla Shire for women all day, 9 to 4.30 on April 6th. April 21st is a big outdoor Easter event on the land over there. May 4th, we will be hosting a Worship in the Wait. How many of y'all know what Worship in the Wait is? I bet you don't. It's a ministry in this church for women suffering through infertility issues. About 25 women are involved in that ministry. And we're doing a, uh, a women's conference for them on May the 4th. And we've got Sherry Rigby, who is an actress that was the female lead in Overcomer, the Kendrick Brothers movie that's coming out this uh, summer. And she's the female lead in a movie that came out yesterday called The Least of These. She's speaking at that conference, and then she's going to speak here on Sunday. May the 14th, Tuesday night, Eminent Worship. How many of y'all have heard of Eminent Worship? Eminent Worship will be here on Tuesday, May 14th. On May 18th, we're having a men's ministry weekend. We're going to throw hatchets out on the land at Targets, and we're going to spit, and we're going to do, just do men's stuff. I don't know why I said we're going to spit. We're going to do men's stuff out on the land on that weekend. And we've got a special guest speaker coming up from Albany that weekend that's going to speak. In fireproof and facing the giants and courageous and they're going to speak on that Saturday to our men and we're going to eat meat and we're going to do men's stuff and then they're going to speak on Sunday. The first week of June our 412 student ministry is going to sold out in Panama City, Florida for a, for a summer camp. And y'all do know this, whoever wants the next generation the most is going to get them. Do we want the next generation more than the deceiver? I would say that we do. I would say that we do. The week of July the 15th, we're doing a mission trip to Columbus. Ever heard of that? We're doing a mission trip to Columbus, not Ohio, not Columbus, Columbia, Columbus, Georgia. Every day that week, there will be mission activities all over the city, going to children in the hospital, going to the jail, doing this, doing that. We're treating that just like a mission trip. Culminating on the Saturday, the 20th, We'll have an outdoor worship event on that Saturday at our new Dream Center building on 35th and 6th Avenue downtown. And we'll have backpacks and school supplies collecting them for all of the kids that live in that area. And then on that Sunday, we're going to do a worship service together with Eden Church here. We're doing this mission trip with them. Y'all ever heard of two churches in the same city doing a mission trip together? Say no. 
But churches need to play together. And so we're going to worship together on that Sunday. The second week of September. We will, are y'all getting the image of what a missional is like? The second week of September, the Barrett family will be here for the weekend. They have an incredible God story that revolves around getting hit head on by a drunk driver going 80 miles an hour. Hope Out Loud Ministries. Y'all look it up. The Barrick family. They're gonna, we're sponsoring them to come. They're going to speak at a, at a high school, local public high school on Friday about the perils of drunk driving. They're going to do a conference here on Saturday, and then they're going to speak to us on Sunday morning. September 30th to October 5th, we're doing a mission trip to Los Angeles to work alongside of the Dream Center. October is our yearly First weekend of November, we're going to have a marriage retreat. Y'all, that's what a missional church looks like. All of those things will increase and make heaven more crowded. And, it, and all of us in here will grow because of it. All of it will feel good. Because, and then we'll want to do it again. Because God's wired us up that way. When we do, when we serve, when we, when we pray with someone, it feels good. And so we do it again. That's what a missional church looks like. This whole series has been about being a church on the trail for God's mission. And that mission is to make Him known in the world. You can't make Him known in the world if you don't know Him. And so I'm telling you right now, I'm begging you right now, if you don't know Him today, say yes to Him today. He died on that cross for you. And this message, this gospel message, again, it's not difficult. This gospel message is, I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. I need to repent of my jacked upness. Right? And I need to believe what? I need to believe that He died on that cross and bought me back. That's the simple truth of the gospel. That's it. And so if you did that today, let us know on a connection card and drop it in the offering bucket. And our prayer team is in the back. Our prayer team is in the back and they would love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, lay hands on you, whatever that would be. But if that happened to you today, fill out a connection card on the seatbelt for drop it in the offering bucket or drop it in the uh, pray for us. Lord, your message is so clear and your message, Lord, is so succinct and it's so simple. Lord, a child can understand that message. And so my prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would open up an ear or a heart or a mind to the simplicity of your gospel. And Lord, today, let someone who walked in here lost, let them leave found. And so, Lord, I lift our church family up to you in Jesus' name. So, look, we come now. I'm going to call the host teams up. We, have, we come now to a time where we worship Him uh, through bringing Him an offering, through bringing Him a tithe, through bringing Him and being generous, whatever that would be. You know, these things that we do, this being on a mission, there is a financial cost to it. But I know that we want to be good stewards of the resources that are that are generously donated in this church. And I know that... Plenty of us have been burned by, by, by churches not being good stewards. My prayer for our church is that we would always be a good steward. And by that I mean every nickel we spend needs to be spent, that there's a return on the other end, and that return being that someone either grows in their walk with Christ or, or, or becomes walking with Christ. That's the yardstick we use. 
So I ask you all to be generous. Be generous to enable the ministries of this church. And you can do it in these offering buckets or you can do it online or at the kiosk out there. Let me pray real quick over that. I'll turn it back over to the worship team. Lord, again, we love you today. We, we ask you to take this offering that we're bringing you, that we're bringing you, and, and that you would use it uh, to, to allow us to go out and fulfill your mission, to be missional. And that mission is just to let the world know who you are. So, Lord, I ask you to bless this offering in your son's name. Amen. Hey, and I want to walk on mission with our arms locked together.